Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you once again as we continue our series titled uh, The Road to Easter, where we're looking at the key events surrounding the last week of Jesus's life uh, leading up to Easter Sunday, where of course, of course he, he rose from the grave. Last week, we looked at and talked about the triumphal entry of Jesus, where he rode into the holy city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He makes this public statement that he is the king. He is the Messiah. He clears up all, um, um, he, he provides ultimate clarity on who he is and what he has come to do and what he wanted everybody to think about him. And we saw that in that moment, Jesus was forcing a choice. The gospel that is the good news of who Jesus is forces all of us to make a choice about what we believe, because we learn that if Jesus is the Lord and King who saves, he then calls us, me and you, to make a U-turn in our lives, right? Instead of going down our own path, following our own ways, we make a U-turn, we repent and submit to his leading. And we do this because he declared he is the rightful ruler, the one who we should follow. This week, we're looking at an interesting story. It's all about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the story is full of emotion. It's, it's full of lessons about living a life devoted to God. And the story has baffled Christians throughout generations. And in fact, throughout church history, it's seen as almost an embarrassment to the story of Jesus. Because Jesus is just filled with so much anguish and so much emotion. He says what we're going to see. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Another translation says, reads, his soul is crushed with grief. You ever felt that way before? You ever just been so overwhelmed with emotions and grief and pain that you just thought you would die from it? You didn't know what to do with it? It's amazing because we can say our Savior has felt that way. Our Savior has experienced those type of intense emotions. And in this story, he's going to teach us what we do with those emotions. And what's amazing about this story is we see a picture of someone who, of Jesus who goes to God with his emotions. And then we have the disciples who kind of ignore what's going on. And we see the disciples in the midst of chaos who are right there with Jesus. They get lost in the chaos and run away. And Jesus moves forward and changes the world. You see, the difference for Jesus' life and and why he was so different and what we need to kind of lean on and, and, and get from this story is that Jesus was utterly dependent upon the Father for everything he did. 
He was utterly dependent upon the Father for everything he did. Charles Stanley says it like this. He says it best, so we're going to use it this morning. He says, our intimacy with God, his highest priority for our lives, determines the impact of our lives. Our intimacy with God, our relationship with him, our dependence upon him is his highest priority for us and will determine the impact of our lives. What I want you to see this morning is your intimacy with God. There's a clear correlation between that and the impact you have for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so just so we're on the same page, real quick, before we get into it, there's two things we want to talk about when we're talking about intimacy with God. First, it's orienting your life around God's word, and I hope you knew that. God speaks through his word. We believe he speaks through its word. We believe it's true. It's trustworthy. And so for the Christian, we must be defined and directed by the Bible. So we conform our lives. We allow the Bible to speak into us. We allow the Bible to lead us. To be a Christian, and it's always been this way if you were unclear about this, to be a Christian is to be a person of the book. We always have been. We always will be. That's what Christians do. We believe in the Bible. But then secondly, we must be prayerfully dependent. So not only do we believe in the Bible and we hear from God through the Bible, we also pray and we speak to God. And those two things form the communication we have with our Father in heaven. You know, every relationship, communication is the key. Isn't that true, married people? How well does your marriage go if you don't speak to your spouse? Like, I don't know. I don't talk to him and ask him how it's going. So it works out just, it seems just fine to me. All right, no, communication is the key for any healthy relationship. And it's the same with our relationship with God. We have to hear from him and we have to speak with him. It's a back and forth type of thing. So I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through this passage this morning. This is almost a week after Jesus rode into Jerusalem on his donkey announcing he was the king. It wasn't received by many. And before Jesus takes him and his closest disciples into the garden, we see Jesus in the upper room taking the, um, the bread and taking the wine and, and passing these elements out and, and saying, hey, these things are now done in my name. Judas has already left to go betray Jesus for some silver. The other disciples have had their feet washed by Jesus. Jesus has shown them what true leadership looks like. And he also tells his disciples, I'm going to die, but I'll meet you in Galilee. And Peter says, Jesus, I don't need to meet you there. I'm going with you. Wherever you go, Jesus, I'll be right there. And Jesus says, Peter, that's not how it's going to work out. Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter does what we do. He argued with them. Lord, I'm going right there with you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. I'll never abandon you. I'll never desert you, Lord. I'm right there with you. You ever argued with Jesus like that before? Sure you have. It's called sin, isn't it? We think we know how it's going to turn out. He tells us how it's going to turn out. We argue with him. We do it anyways. And guess who was right the whole time? Yeah, he was, right, same thing. So Jesus knows things are, uh, he's about to be taken. He knows things have been set in motion. And so now it's time to wait. Let's jump in and see Jesus go to the garden. It's Matthew, excuse me, we're gonna look at Mark, Mark 14, 32 to 34. 
He says they, that's Jesus and his closest disciples, went to the olive grove called, uh, called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here with me and keep watch with me. First, I want you to see Jesus is guided by the scripture. The Psalms give him the words he's using to describe his anguish and describe his pain. A lot of times, and you know this, we can't express what's really going on. It's hard to put that into words. But the Psalms helped Jesus put his emotions into actually words. It taught him how to express his feelings. And if you have trouble with that, if you have trouble talking with God, if you have trouble wondering how to relate to him, what you can say to him, kind of what's off limits, go through the Psalms. The Psalm will teach you how to express yourself to God, teaches you how to be vulnerable and raw and just be open and honest with him. So we see Jesus doing that, but also let's, let's look at Jesus' emotional state. He's rather troubled, isn't he? It tells us he is deeply troubled, distressed. His soul is crushed with grief. And there has been so many books written about the emotional state of Jesus and everybody trying to guess exactly why he feels this way. I personally think it's a combination of everything going on in his life right now. First, think about this. Jesus is going to the garden waiting for what he knows is coming. Sometimes waiting is the hardest part, isn't it? For my kids, it is. I tell them they're getting a shot when they go to the doctors. How do they feel about that? Oh, you don't think that's helpful? I'm teaching my kids how to deal with that anxiety now, right? If they don't learn how to deal with it as children, what happens when they become adults? Right, right. So they know, but a lot of times that waiting is far more stressful than the actual shot. They're like, hey, the shot wasn't so bad. I'm like, I know. See, I told you it was okay the whole time. But Jesus is waiting. What's he waiting for? He's waiting to be arrested, flogged, whipped, hung on a tree by his, by nails, driven through his body. So Jesus knows this physical pain is right around the corner. He's about to be betrayed or has been betrayed by one of his friends. Y'all ever been betrayed by someone close to you before? It hurts, doesn't it? This is one of Jesus' followers who's been with him for three and a half years. Jesus has poured his life into him, and he's going to betray him for some silver. He knows his followers are going to abandon him. They're going to run away from him and leave him by himself. But all of this with probably the most likely most painful thing going on is Jesus is about to feel separation from God. You see, Jesus has never sinned. He's never experienced a life without God. He's never experienced that separation that for some reason you and I are accustomed to. And so his soul is overwhelmed because he's about to experience and feel the wrath of God for the sins of the world. Think about how that would feel. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
You see, for Jesus, intimacy and being dependent upon the Father was the most important thing. It was his priority in life, and he's about to, for the first time, experience the weight of sin, that is the weight of separation, and be away from God. Remember, on the cross, he feels that. He feels abandoned, and he expresses that. All that's going to come into Jesus on the cross. Then it says this, 1435. It says, he went on a little farther and fell on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible that the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You see, Jesus wasn't looking for suffering any more than we look forward to suffering but he knew something greater was happening. And in his grief and in his pain and his end, just worrying about what's coming up next, he shows us how to be prayfully dependent upon the Father, to go to him with our needs and wants, to express our emotions and ask for help. And the crazy thing about this situation is, in this moment, God is silent. Do you remember throughout the other times we'd see these miracles, we would see God speak, we would see doves coming down. I mean, there would be great confirmation. And in this darkest moment, in this extreme stressful time, there is no word from the Lord. Jesus is sitting there just in it, waiting, hearing, Lord, please, something different. And for us, when we're experiencing those emotions and we're experiencing that, that pain, we too need to go to God and just plead with him and just pray. For Jesus, he doesn't have to go and ask about sin, does he? But for us, when we're in those states, it'd be probably pretty wise for us to go and, and pray and ask him to reveal in our heart what's going on. Have we done something? Is there this something we need to confess? Is there a sinful thing we need to let go of? Like what is causing this pain and this emotion and, and everything we're dealing with? Lord, what is this? Take this from me. Jesus wanted this stuff gone. But the Father didn't answer this in any other way but just keep moving forward. You see, Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father was for him to die on a cross for us. And Jesus teaches us to pray the same thing when it comes to praying. You see, he says, yet I want your will to be done and not mine. He teaches us to pray when we go to him in the Lord's Prayer. He teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Just like Jesus, we should daily be praying, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want to experience this. This is tough. This is hard. Whatever that may be for you, whatever you're going through in your life. But we pray, but Lord, it's not my will. But your will, Lord, I don't feel like going to work today. Y'all ever felt that way? Just me? Yeah, but Lord, if, if this is where you've placed me, if this is what you've called me to do, not my will, but your will. You see, the point out the obvious. Remember, God's word gives us direction for our lives. While there are unique things he's going to call us to, unique responsibilities he's going to tell us to go take over, go conquer, or whatever that may be for you, we can never forget that the majority of God's will is found right here in his word. Now, you and I, we must um, read it. We must soak ourselves and saturate ourselves in God's word daily so it can direct us, so it can guide us. 
And we see Jesus here in his utter dependence calling out to God. There can be any other way. You see, following God's will can and oftentimes will lead you into extremely uncomfortable situations. In fact, it seems more often than not throughout the Bible we see people being led directly in very uncomfortable situations. This idea that God won't give you more than you can handle is completely false. Did you know that? That's not in the Bible. Nowhere does the Bible say God won't give you more than you can handle. He absolutely will give you more than you can handle. Do you know why? So you can go to him. He will never give you more than he can handle. He says he'll never give you more temptation than you can't walk away from. You'll never be in the point of temptation where you have to sin. Like, that's not going to happen. But he'll never give you more than he absolutely will give you more too much or more than you can handle. But he'll never give you more than he can handle. And so if you are stressed out, if you are saying, well, God wouldn't give me this if I couldn't handle it. I'm just going to muscle through it. No, no, no. We go and we depend upon him. We go and we gain our strength from him. We read his word. We allow him to talk to us. And then we talk back to him in prayer. And we ask him for strength. We ask him to guide us. And we keep moving forward if that's what he's asked us to do. You see, one author said, Jesus will not be delivered from death, but will be delivered through death. You see, the resurrection only happens if he dies. Our salvation only happens if he dies on that cross for our sins. Then he says this in verse 37. He says, then he returned and found the disciples. What are they doing? Just sleeping. Y'all ever been tired before? Yeah. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray this so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The bold disciples who will never run away, they will never abandon Jesus, are tired. They're worn out. And right here, we're shown the problem, or excuse me, the solution to the problem we all face. If we're wore out, we're tired, we just don't know if we can keep going. Jesus says, listen, Peter, temptation's coming. I've told you you're going to fail. What is the solution he's telling Peter? What's the solution? Keep watching, pray. Pray. He said, I know you're going to fail. I've told you you're going to fail. You don't think you're going to do it. You think you have it all figured out, and you're just bold in your own flesh. But Peter, the flesh is weak. Peter, you can't do this on your own. So he tells him what to do. Listen, Jesus wanted Peter to be bold. Jesus didn't want him to fall in temptation. Jesus wanted Peter to succeed, or he wouldn't have said, hey, Keep watch so you won't fall. You're about to fail, Peter. Keep watch so it doesn't happen to you. Pray. Get your strength from the Lord. You see, our greatest source of strength isn't found from within us. Our greatest source of strength is found through God. From the very beginning, human beings were not created to be independent from God. We were created to be dependent on him. 
get our power and our strength through him. Look what Jesus tells us in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. He says, you can't do anything of value apart from me. Through your own strength, through your own successes, through your own gifting, just trying to be this awesome person, you can't do anything of value for the kingdom. You see, he is the source of our strength. He is the source of our nutrition. He is the one that gives us life. Which means you will never be a good husband or a good wife if you are not utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ. Do you know you will never be a good father? You will never be a good uh, mother if you are not utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ. You will never be a good leader if you are not utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ. You will not be a good son or a good daughter unless you are utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ. You see, we think that we're too busy to spend time with him. We think if we just go do this next thing or if we run to this next thing, that that's going to fix it. And if I do more, then I'll accomplish more. Like, it'll all happen if, if it's me. But Jesus says, no. It happens through me. So we go to him to gain our strength. Because if we rely upon ourselves, I don't know about you, but I know about me. If I rely, relied upon my opinion and my will, I'm going to seek comfort. How about you? relaxation, air conditioning, lazy boys. Like all of that's my love language. I like that kind of stuff. But being uncomfortable, being uncomfortable for the Lord, going through our own gardens and having to carry our own cross like Jesus has called us to, the only way we're going to pull that off if it's we're hearing from him and directed by him and led from him. So he says to keep watch and pray. Look at what happens next. Mark 14, 39. Next slide. It says, then Jesus left with them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. For they couldn't keep their eyes open. And they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Up, let's go. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So the time to pray, the time to be prepared is over. Now they must rely on their own flesh because they have been prayed up. They didn't listen to what he said. And look what happens next. Verse 43. It says, and immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor Judas had given them a, a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. And as soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But, verse 47, but one of the other men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing his ear off. 
Peter said he was willing to die with Jesus, but evidently he's willing to kill as well, isn't he? Verse 48, Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day, but these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. So listen, Jesus is being arrested. The guards have come to get him. His friend has betrayed him. And in the midst of all of this, he is pointing them to prophecies. He is pointing them to prophecies being fulfilled right there in the moment. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the stress, Jesus is still pointing to God's word. Because he's prayed up. He's ready. All this other stuff around them, it's, it's just is what it is. But he's still fulfilling God's mission. But the disciples are doing what? Swinging swords. They can't see what's really happening. They're lost in the midst of it because they don't have their strength from the Lord. And verse 50 says this. It says, then the disciples deserted him, deserted him and ran away. And this is one of the strangest parts in all of the Bible, just letting you know. And one man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away yeah, naked. I mean, Peter probably told this to Mark, who records this for us. Think about how embarrassing this is to tell about yourself. Think about the shame. Jesus, God's word in flesh, God's word has told you to do these things. He's told you what's coming. He's told you what's going to happen. He's told you to be prepared. And he's told you the solution. He's saying, hey, listen, just pray. But he was too tired. He was sleeping. And the story he tells about that moment is how they ran away in shame. And how one of them ran away absolutely naked in shame. The difference in these moments was that Jesus was utterly dependent upon the Father, gaining his source from the Father in the midst of an extreme emotional situation. The disciples were living independent from that. The disciples were trying to do things on their own strength, thinking, all I need is more sleep and everything will be okay. To go back to that quote, our intimacy with God is his highest priority for our lives and determines the impact. Because all of us are going to face the situations. All of us are going to have chaos happen to us. All of us are going to have crazy things happen throughout our lives. But some of us, we're going through this life asleep. We can't figure out why we're not having an impact in the world. We're not really making a difference. We're not really even making a difference in the people's lives that we love. And New Testament, David Garland gives us some insightful application that I couldn't make better. So we're just going to use his points this morning. He says this. He says, number one, to sleep is to stop praying. To sleep is to stop praying. Did disciples love Jesus? Yeah, they loved him. The disciples have the words that were willing to do anything for Jesus. Yeah. But they weren't getting their source of strength from the Father. You can love Jesus. You can be bold for Jesus. But in the midst of it, if we're not getting our strength through prayer from him, 
we're not going to make it. And so I ask, how often do you pray? Like, for real. You see, a few months ago, I started charting my workouts, because if you had asked me if I work out, I'd say, I work out absolutely all the time. I mean, all the time, like, all the time. And I started writing it down. Guess what I found out? I didn't work out near as much as I thought I did. One time I looked down, I was like, I got to do legs. I just did legs the other day. It was 21 days. <laughs> and, and I seriously thought it was the other day. It wasn't. It was three weeks. And so I said, huh, so let me start charting my nutrition. Man, I figured out why I'm overweight. Like it wasn't that hard. I started charting it out. And so I asked like, for real, how often do you pray? Do you seek God daily for your strength? Do you go to him knowing that you're only going to accomplish um, his will if you're asking him to be the source of your strength? Do you realize you will do far more with him if you pause and take that 10, that 5, that 15 minutes, and if you pray to him, you will make that time up so much quicker with him in your corner? with him going before you. Have you ever noticed when you pray far more coincidences happen? That things just work out. But do you pray? You see, you cannot have a healthy relationship with the Lord if you're not praying. Jesus died on that cross so you and I could have that type of relationship with him. So do you pray? And he says this, he says to sleep is to stop praying, but to sleep is to be unable to recognize the onset of trial or to accept it as God's will. And this is important because by our fallen nature, fallen nature, every single one of us want comfort and control. But as Christians, when we are followers of Jesus, we relinquish that control and we submit to him. We are called to follow him, live outside of our comfort, live outside of our wants and our desires and follow him. And so like Peter, we won't recognize what's happening. We won't recognize the trials. We won't recognize the temptations. We won't recognize the pivotal moments that God's trying to do something in our lives if we're not in this relationship with him. Rather than moving forward saying, well, this is just what God's called me to do. I feel confident moving forward. We'll be running around trying to chop people's ears off. Y'all ever tried doing something like that at work? You just destroying everything, trying to make something happen? Just me? Y'all aren't being honest. Right? If we're not prayered up, we won't be able to seek, okay, no, no, this is from the Lord. And I know this is challenging, and I know this is difficult, and I know this is uncomfortable, but this is what he's calling me to. So I'm going to walk boldly in that. You see, Peter was told several times that Jesus was going to die. He told him, Peter, I'm going to die. And he kept rebuking Jesus. He wasn't really concerned with what God was leading or how God was directing him. He had his own will and his own things he wanted to thwart upon God. Then he says this. He says, to sleep is to presume that the spirit is willing without being mindful of the weakness of the flesh. I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people and I've heard, I never thought it would be me. I never thought I would. Folks, our flesh is weak. None of us are above sin and all of us are one choice away from completely blowing up our lives. 
And when we're not directed by God's word, when we're not prayerfully dependent upon him, when our relationship, if we're not feeding off of God, we're going to rely on ourselves and our own strengths and our own thoughts. And we may even think we have good ideas. Peter did. He thought it was a good idea to cut someone's ear off, but Jesus healed it, right? That's not what he came to do. So it's not about our will, right? It's about God's will being done. That's why when he teaches us to pray um, about his will to be done in our lives. So prayer and Bible, like these are critical to live successfully as Christians, to have that relationship with God. But then lastly, number four, he says to sleep is to assume that we have arrived. If we don't think we need to pray, if we don't think we need to get into God's word, then that must mean we just have it figured out. That we don't need them. That we got this. Remember, pride tells us, I'm excuse me, Proverbs teach us, pride's before the destruction, isn't it? And so I ask this morning, are you asleep? Are you going through this life without being dependent upon God? Is it time for you to wake up and get serious about drawing close to Jesus Christ, about reading your Bible and about praying? You see, from this story, because I know it sounds like the preacher thing to say, to pray and read your Bible. Y'all ever heard that before in church? We're like, yeah, I know, it's the same thing. What I hope you see from this, and what I'm trying to pull out, and it's, and, it's, and it's difficult, but it's that Jesus was prayed up, the disciples weren't at the end of the day. And that same thing's going to happen to us because that's what they're repeating. Hey, Peter, can you pray? Yeah, I'll pray, falls asleep. Hey, Peter, you're going to pray? Yeah, I'll pray, falls asleep. Is that you? Is that me? Are we living this life trying to pull from our own strength? Or are we living this life dependent upon Jesus Christ? Because the most important thing in your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. He is more important than your job. He is more important than your kids. He is more important than your spouse, your parents, your friends. He is the most important thing you can spend your time with or spend your time on getting to know is Jesus Christ. Because he died so you could have a relationship with him. And it's through your relationship with Jesus Christ that all those other relationships will be enhanced. You will only be a good spouse or a good mother or a good father or a good employee, all of those things through Jesus Christ. Your time with him will not be wasted. Your intimacy with God is his highest priority for your life. And it will determine the impact you have for your life. And so chances are, your life's not going to go the way you planned it. Y'all ever notice that? It doesn't work out the way we think. But quite honestly, I hope it doesn't. I hope your life is far better than you could have imagined. I hope through you trusting in Jesus Christ, he takes you to bigger and further places. And that might mean in the middle of Africa, in the middle of the jungle, just being a missionary for him. I mean, I hope God uses you in amazing ways for his glory. Because I believe God has great things in store for each and every one of us, but that doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. But what it does mean is that when God's moving and we're paying attention, 
we can be bold for him because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And listen, if you've kind of had a Peter story and you've ran away, you've been doing things on your own, just know it's never too late. Peter's story is one of grace, one of falling away but then being restored because of Jesus. He ends up leading the greatest movement the world has ever seen. And remember, Jesus can use you to do amazing things too. He's for you. He's rooting for you. And he tells you how. He says, wake up. Spend the time with me. Get into the word. Spend the time with me in prayer and watch what I can do with you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for prayer. Lord, we ask you to help us have the type of prayer life like Jesus. Help us spend time alone with you in prayer daily. Help us when we are busy and when we are stressed to seek a quiet place, away from the noise, just to talk with you. We pray that in our life and in large life decisions, we seek you. We ask you to guide us. And we pray with our emotional stress and the anxiety and the worry and, and all that every single one of us feel, Lord, we pray that we bring that to you as well. Lord, I pray that all of us here just intentionally and boldly pursue you, to pursue your word and to pursue, pursue a relationship with you. Father, we love you and thank you so much that Jesus Christ made this possible. It's in his precious name we pray.